New days, introducing the original Blood Clad Podcast, not BS. Told in semantic. Special dedication, all the way from New York. Boom! Yeah, man, SWOT semantic. Yeah, man, oh. Boom! Sued in semantic. Yeah, man, Big up to the man, yeah. Sued in semantic. This is Soothing Semantics. I'm your host, Rafi Pinsky. And today we have Jose Morales. Do you go by Luis? Old? Do you do Jose Luis or what do you usually go by? Uh, yeah, Jose Luis uh, Morales. Just, uh, or just Jose Luis, sorry. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Okay. So um, Jose is a very close friend of Aaron Novello's. Aaron Novello is a coach of mine. And uh, I watched Aaron's first podcast episode and Jose uh-huh. Luis was on it. And I got a ton of awesome, awesome uh, understanding from it. There were a lot of questions that I had that you guys naturally answered. Uh-huh. Um, and I just said, okay, let's at least, cause I, I just watched the first one. So I said, you know what, let's get Jose on. So a couple of questions going into it, you guys, well, first off, I counted about 3,286 bros in the episode. Yeah, we're, <laughs> it was amazing, dude. <laughs> we're uh, pretty close, um, and we've that. got like a like a great relationship. Like he started off as a mentor to me, and then uh, what ended up coming to the surface is we ended up becoming really good friends. It got to the point where um, he would take like three listings in a day, or like five or eight listings in a week, and he'd call me, and be like, "Yo." just took my fifth listing for the day. And I was like, man, I thought I was having a good day, you know? And uh, yeah, it just became a really um, good relationship. Um, after that, it just became a friendship. That's awesome. It's unbelievable. I'm, I, I'm, I'm so, it lets such a fire under my ass to hear a few a day. Like I'm trying to get a few a week right now, you know? And there are people getting, there are people getting a few a day. It's like, damn, I have to do, I have to level up. Like I, this, I am really far from where I need to be. You know what I mean? And it's, it's exciting, man. Cause I know it's going to be a long road. I'm, I'm, I'm a newer realtor. I've been doing it for about nine months now. So it's just, I'm just trying to get as much as I can early on. You know, I remember bro when my goal and I'll say bro, uh, I remember when my goal was uh, th- three a month. And it was like two listings a month. If I could just take two listings a month this week, I've taken six listings. So it, it, uh, it, it definitely changes. And then obviously your mind continues to expand as you become exposed to, to, to more people. Like for me in my market, if you take three listings a month, you're a rock star, you're a superstar, you know? And what, what a lot of people do is they never go outside of their marketplace what I mean by that is that they look at the people in their market that are producing three, three listings a month. And they, they look at them like, I want to be them. But sometimes when you go outside of your marketplace and you find people like Aaron Avello that's doing 200 listings in a year, you realize that what's going on in your marketplace isn't that much. And you also realize that if Aaron can do it out in that marketplace, you can do it in your marketplace and just that exposure to people, man, I can't tell you how important that is. So you're really blessed to have 
people like that in your life already. And it's only a matter of time before you get there, you know, because I, I remember I wasn't there too long ago where I was two listings a month, three listings a month. And now if I don't take two to three listings in a week, I'm like, man, that was a that was a bad week, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's that's amazing. It's it, what you said was so accurate about, about the neighborhood, so to speak. So if I know five, I'm just kind of uh, expounding on it or just adding my own. So, you know, you have a community of five realtors and they're doing well, mm-hmm. but like, I, it's such a good point you're making, but you go a little bit out of it and you realize there are realtors really killing it. And you, and people just don't think to compare that. Not, I don't like the word compare necessarily, but you get where I'm going. Um, and and when you can, when you can kind of broaden your horizon, so to speak, I mean, there's so much more to kind of meet, you know, you have so much, so much more to get to. So it's really awesome. Um, so like, well, how did you starting out when you first got into it? Um, how were things, you know, what were you experiencing? What were a really good question is what were the biggest obstacles? If you were to think right now, okay, I'm. I'm a brand new agent, say from the time you started until you were six months in, what were the biggest challenges right off the bat for you? So the first thing that I thought is I, I came, uh, I used to work at my dad's store. Uh, he owns a business in Oxnard and uh, it was where? a pretty well established business. What where, did you say? Uh, it, it, I worked at a retail business oh, cool. uh, and it was a pretty established business and people just came there all day meaning there was people that just walked in every single day, hundreds, maybe two, 300 people a day. And when I got into real estate, I assumed that it was going to be the same thing, meaning that there was going to be hundreds of people that wanted to hire me as the real estate agent. And that I was just going to have an abundance of business right off the bat. And it was a rude awakening for me because that wasn't the case. Um, I had an aunt that was a realtor at the time as well too. So she got all the family business and a lot of the close friends, family business. And I went six months without selling a single property. So I wasn't like your superstar rock star real estate agent. You know, they're not going to put me on a panel for not selling six property or any properties in the first six months. And um, the change happened as soon as I got a mentor. So for six months, I didn't sell anything. And that was tough, man. That was like, I was in there every, and it wasn't because of a lack of effort, man. I just didn't know what to do. And I didn't have an accurate assessment of reality. Um, I thought people were just going to come to me. I thought people were going to use me to buy or sell real estate. And it didn't happen. Uh, At the six month mark, I got a mentor. I was my very first mentor. Uh, He approached me month zero. I told him, no, I've got this. Don't worry about it. Uh, he approached me at the six month mark. He said, you'll, you'll pay me 50% of your commissions. I was already on a 50% split with my broker. So I was technically on 25%. And uh, to be honest, I just said, you know what? I'm not making any money. Let's do it. The next six months, I closed nine deals. But at that point, I, I made a commitment to myself. I wasn't going to be focused. I wasn't focused on the money. I, I'm still not as focused on the money. I'm more focused on the knowledge. So the stuff that I learned from him really gave me an edge. I remember right when I was around the 10 to 20 deal closed mark, just in my history, in, in my, in my career, people would tell me that, that they couldn't believe I had only been in the business for a year, but it was because 
I learned that the more deals that you do, the more experience that you actually have, real life experience. And that gives you confidence. You know, it gives you confidence to go out into the marketplace and and really uh, be able to explain to people, not something that you heard about, but something that you've actually experienced, you know? So I started learning about 10, uh, 1031 exchanges. I started learning about buying multi-units. I started learning about uh, first-time home buyer programs, FHA, conventional down payment assistance. So I would talk to people and people were like, man, you really know what you're doing. But it was just because I started getting in the habit of doing a lot of deals. And then that confidence uh, started projecting. So the first thing uh, was assuming that the business was just going to come to me. That was uh, a hurdle right there. The second thing, thinking that I can do it all by myself, you know, thinking that I had it figured out and that I didn't need a mentor. Uh, that was probably mistake number two. And then uh, there was other obstacles uh, as obviously we, you, you grow, you know, growing pains, everything from hiring the first assistant to hiring the second assistant to switching companies. Um, it's good to have a mentor because you can run things by a mentor and basically a mentor can make you aware of things that you may not see at the time. Meaning like, and I explained this in a, on a different podcast, let's say you're going down a road, the mentor has, if it's a good mentor, they've been down that same road that you have, and they'll be able to tell you, watch out for the tiger on the right-hand side. Once you get to the two-mile mark, there's going to be a uh, uh, a dog on the left-hand side. Make a right there, make a left, and they're able to guide you and almost just tell you. Because I remember Aaron, uh, when uh, I was at a point where my assistant quit, and wow. I asked Aaron, and I said, uh, or not, yeah, she, it, it just wasn't working out. Um, and that was like the second or third assistant that I had early on in my career. And then I asked her and Aaron, look, uh, I'm about to marry, uh, my fiance. It's not for another year. Would you recommend for husband and wife to work together? And Aaron works with his wife and he said, best decision you'll ever make. Um, cause you get mixed feedback. Some people tell you, don't do that, that it's going to ruin your relationship to not work with your spouse. You hear all kinds of stuff. And I would was, think not, by the way, I, I don't know if I, I, it's, it's a pretty big, you're taking a pretty big chance with it. I think you just really have to know each other, like really yeah. know yourselves and each other. Cause, um, you, is that what you do? Do you No. So my wife took over the assistant role and my mm-hmm. vision behind that was, um, not that she was going to be my assistant forever. My vision behind that was that once we have kids, my wife can be a full-time mom. Mm-hmm. But the other vision behind it was that I wouldn't have to continue retraining people, meaning I was going to delegate it forever. So think about it this way. Let's say that my spouse came in and helped me in the business. So unless I get divorced, I'm not going to have to train anybody else. So I trained my spouse to do everything from the listing management to the closing management. Now we hire somebody else. My wife trains that person. Let's say that person leaves, guess who's in charge of the training? My wife is in charge of the training now instead of me. So what was happening whenever somebody would quit is I would have to take time away from production to retrain that person. So I wanted to make it so that that uh, I didn't have to take away time from production and that my wife can do that, knowing that it was only something temporary and that once we got to having kids, my wife can focus 100% on the kids mm-hmm. versus having a, a nine to five job. So it ended up being a good decision because I've never had to retrain another assistant ever since. My wife has retrained. Now we have an excellent manager at the office and she takes care of all the training. 
which, uh, which eliminated like peaks and valleys, you know, like it eliminated me from having really great. And then your assistant gets overwhelmed or for whatever reason, it doesn't work out. Now you're having to spend 40, 80, hundred hours, 200 hours training that person. Yep. It made it so I never have to go back to that role because I don't like that role. That's not where my strength is at. You know, my strength is out there going to meet people and basically helping them buy or sell real estate. So it, for me, it was a really good decision. May not be a good decision for everybody, but for me, it was probably one of the best decisions that I made. Plus the year my wife joined, my income doubled. Really? Literally doubled, man. Because wow. she just took so much stuff off my plate and she had my best interest at heart, you know? She, sure. she cared about the business because obviously we're getting married, you know? She saw this as an opportunity. Now we have one beautiful son. We, she's pregnant right now. Awesome. She never has to go to an office, never has to do anything like that. She still helps me with other stuff, but she's not like at your nine to five job or handling client calls. Zero that's a calls. blessing, man. That's, that's amazing. And it's just, you got, you guys put it together. You guys put in the work. That's so admirable, man. Yeah. I'm, I, I think that's actually very good. If you can make it work, mm-hmm. that sounds awesome because you know, for me also, I'm on the same page. I'm cool with my wife working or not working, but to have the option where she doesn't have to, that's incredible, you know? So she can decide whether she wants to or not, as opposed to being forced to where she, you know, you guys have to do it to pay the bills. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's a wonderful place to be. So for me, it's the not having to retrain other people over oh. and over again, man. Cause those 40, 80, 100 hours, man, if you're right, focused sure. on production, those are brutal, man. Telling somebody like me to slow down and train somebody on the admin wow. side is, man, it's a. Uh, yeah, I would not want to do that either. <laughs> it's not. You will. It's, I, In huh? order to get to the next level, at some point, do you have an assistant right now? So, so I'm, I got a TC, by the way. Aaron was the one who pressed me to do it. So, well, he didn't even have to press me. Here's what it was. Um, I, I heard of a transaction coordinator, you know, it's, it, it was flying around the office or I was hearing it in, in different uh, videos I've watched. And I went around my office one day, this was know, maybe two, three, two, three months ago. I went around the office and I said, Hey, do you use a TC? They're like, no, most of them didn't. Most of the like, Oh, didn't. I just like to be on top of my transactions. And yeah, I'm like, yeah, but doesn't, isn't that taking away a lot of your time from actually prospecting and lead generating and, and, and selling real estate. They're like, no, it doesn't take so much time. So then I, I'm like, this doesn't make sense. There's no way that the, the, the big realtors are doing this. The big realtors are delegating. I'm like, I have to get someone else's advice. I'm like, ah, Aaron. So I send him a DM and I'm like, I'm, I honestly just told myself whatever he says, I'm going to do like legitimately. So I, I send him a message and I'm like, do you recommend I hire a TC right now, even though I'm brand new, you know, even though I, I'm like fresh. He said, get one right now on every single transaction. He's like, you don't get paid doing your paperwork. He said, that's part of the 80%. Focus on the 20%. Focus on what matters. Focus on selling real estate. And uh, the rest should be delegated. And I was just like. And, and the lesson there, bro, is you have to be careful who you get advice from, you know, because yes, if you're that, yeah. getting advice from somebody that's selling 12 properties a year or three or four properties a year, you're getting the advice to be able to put yourself in a position to sell 10 to 12 properties a year. The cool thing about getting advice from somebody that's selling hundreds of properties a year 
is that he's going to help you get to that level a lot faster by giving you the same mental roadmap that allowed him to get to where he's at. So I, I think that's brilliant. And congratulations on, on obviously doing that. For sure. For yeah. sure. But that's why I'm talking to you too, FYI, <laughs> for my own selfish gain. A hundred percent. No, I'm not going to sit. I get a free hour with you, man. Of course, man. Listen, I'm happy I'll to take do it. it. I mean, listen, nothing's free, right? But like, in the sense where you know, but yeah, I, I, I'm. By the way, I'm a New Yorker, so I'm. A, there's, there are going to be times where the filters just, you know, or it just isn't there. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, man, it's. I'm noticing a lot of similar trends with what people experience in the beginning, and I think a lot of it is like that unconscious incompetence Mm -hmm. where they just kind of don't know what they don't know. Yeah. And you're like, and you feel kind of lost because you see some realtors doing nothing. Most realtors Mm -hmm. are just not doing much. Then you have your kind of your middle agents. And then you have the, the Jose Luis and Aaron Novellos who are just doing phenomenally. And you kind of wonder what's, what's going on over there? You know, what did they figure out that I haven't figured out? Is it just a matter of time on the field, you know, playing ball or is it a matter of, well, that's for sure a factor, but it's also of what did they do proactively earlier on to get to where they are? Because if you continue to just, excuse me, if you continue to just do the same thing over and over and over for five years, six years, seven years, 10 years, and you're not producing anything, you're not, you're, the, the results are the same then what are you doing? So, you know, I, I don't get me wrong. I have a ton to learn, but I think that's, that's already a big part. That's a big part of it. I'd say. Yeah. And then it goes in levels too, brother. Like, for example, like I've been producing over a hundred deals for the last four years, but I was stuck on that same trend of doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So I I've been stuck at a hundred, which is not a bad place to be stuck. Like poor me, I've been stuck at a hundred homes making right. Figures, you know, poor Jose, you know, but um, there's different levels to it. And in order to get to the next level, you have to uh, get access to new information as well, too, that will help you get to that next level, because there's levels above me, there's levels above Aaron, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that's the stage where I'm at now that now I'm focused, okay, how do I get to the next level, the next level would be two, 300 homes a year, you know, what do I need to change in order to get to that level? And there's several things that we're implementing uh, this year to get to those levels, you know, Mm -hmm. but it goes in levels as well uh, too. So I remember two to three deals and six to eight and, you know, but there's people selling 300 homes a year, 500 homes a year, 800 homes a year. You know what though, but how do you even find, they have a whole team, right? 800 homes, you got to have a team. Yeah, probably some of the most productive agents that I've seen by themselves, I think might be like 200, 250 by them, not by themselves, not by themselves, like with an assistant and administrative teams, but like personal production, maybe somewhere in the 200 to 250 a deal. Everything else is obviously leveraged out through teams, like the people doing 800 uh, deals a year. I think there's a couple of agents doing maybe even 300 personal production at the most. But th- there's just different uh, levels. And then you get to ex- expose to like different uh, people doing different things. Like I went to, out to shadow a guy named Ryan Pineda 
Uh, he's a YouTuber and he's doing great things in the social media space. So you become aware to different information and obviously there's different ways of, of, of growing uh, as well. So. Yeah, no, without a question, but what, what's your, what's your, do you have a place that if you get to, you'll feel kind of satisfied? I know it's a funny question, but for you yeah. as a realtor, do you want to grow a massive team? Do you want to, you know, what's kind of your, your goal where you're like, okay, I've gotten largely to where I want to be. Yeah. I'd probably say a million dollars in residual income, not like earned income, like mm-hmm. meaning like a real estate income, or obviously I'm in, I'm at EXP as well too. So getting past the million dollars in, in uh, residual, I think puts me in a really uh, good place um, mm-hmm. in regards to like getting there. Uh, uh, I don't think that I'm that motivated by um, I'm motivated by freedom. You know, that's what motivates me. Cause I've got a son now, you know, I've got a son, I've got like another one on the way. Um, I want to be involved uh, as much as I can. So I'm motivated by residual and just having freedom. So I, I live very conservatively um, for the amount of money that I make. I mean, I have got no credit card debt, that doesn't mean I don't use the credit card. We just pay it off in full every single month. Cars are all paid off. You know, we've got money in the bank. We've got assets and everything like that. Uh, but that's what motivates me. I don't think I'm motivated by like fancy things. That's not, uh, I'm not very materialistic, you know. Um, I do have a nice watch, but that's probably the most expensive thing. I drive a nice car, but I mean, for the amount of income that we're making, we, we live way uh, below our means. Um, and that gives me freedom to not have to work if I don't want to. Um, and it also gives me freedom to, to, to take risk in the business as well too, whenever I need to, you know, so. No, that's, I, that's, that's exactly where I want to be in that sense. Yeah. That's where anyone would want to be. That's an ideal, that's really an ideal situation. The, the, but, but obviously what, how do you get there? You get there through a very difficult and long process, as yeah. you know. And I, you know, you've you've already you've already experienced a nice amount of that. I'd say, you know, not speaking for you, but it gets easier. It gets easier right. as you figure out how to what to say, how to say it. Because I remember, like, you probably don't know about this about me, but my first year that I started going after listings, I probably went on like a hundred presentations. And maybe I took like five of them out of a hundred, you know, mm-hmm. and I just kept hitting my head, hitting my head. And people would tell me I need to think about it. I, I would try different things at the presentation and it just wasn't uh, working for me. People would say, oh, you got to close. You got to continue closing, closing, closing them. But I wasn't really listening to what they really wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't, my value propositions weren't, weren't uh, in line like they are now. Um, so, uh, the, the reason I, I bring that up is just now I go on 10 presentations, you know, I get eight and a half to nine of those presentations. So in that sense, it gets a lot easier where you're going on a presentation and now, you know, that you've got the confidence that you're going to get it, you know, um, for you real quick. We have a different part. We our confidence in real estate is in a different point right now. Uh-huh. Like I'm extremely confident I'm going to get. I really believe I'm going to get there. Um, but are. for me, when I go on a listing appointment, I don't go into it knowing like 
this is getting signed. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I, I try to tell it to myself, but there's always a bit of insecurity in the back where it's like, I don't have that experience of doing it enough yet where yeah. it's like, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, a lot of it is, I have to definitely get better at the presentations and, and, and how to really bring value to the table. Yeah. I'm happy to help in any way that I can, just an FYI. So that you're the man. I, I, I hope we can we can work. To, you you're in California, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, which part? Uh, Ventura. So it's like uh, Southern California, in between LA and Santa Barbara, right in the middle. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Yeah, so definitely, if uh, we have some transactions to do, I mean, obviously you have people you know, but uh, hopefully, hopefully, that'd be that'd be wonderful at some point. Yeah, man. Hopefully, you know. Um, yeah, so now that, now that we covered how things were in the beginning, what you've had to struggle through and figure out as time went on, I mean, there's just, I'm trying to think about something that won't take like two hours to, if, um, cause dude, I could have this conversation all day, honestly. There's so much to talk about. You know, it's funny. Aaron always likes to talk about how listings are where the skill is. And he Uh talks about Zillow and how they're taking all the buyer agents away. They're kind of making it obsolete now where these companies will start to pay buyer's agents a salary. Yeah. You know, and it's just... So there are very few realtors I come across that are, that are just listing agents. Mm-hmm. Not very rare. Very, very rare. Thoroughbreds. Right? It's true though, man. It's true. It very rare. And, and it's funny because I even see a lot of realtors that have been in the business a lot longer than me doing rentals. Uh-huh. And I'm even, I've been stopping with it. I turned out a bunch of them, like very small, but uh-huh. In the beginning, I was taking them. They were like, you know, 1800 2 k whatever it was. And then I'm like, okay, so I'll make a little bit of money. But this is such short-term thinking. All that time, I'm, so, I'm going to be spending hours out of my day for the next two weeks trying to find this property. That's two weeks I'm missing out on potentially working with a $600,000 house. And I'm like, this is just small-minded thinking. I'm prolonging this. I'm just, it's going to take longer and longer and longer. And, and then I just eventually, so once I got uh, one transaction to go through, a nice size transaction, I said, okay, that's it. This is going to hold me over. Um, I'm fine. This is going to work. And that's it. Yeah. I, I think sometimes to get to the next level, there's something you have to let go. You know, like e- even I, I meet a lot of agents and the reason they're not able to become only listing agents is because they're still working with buyers, you know? So sometimes um, you have to let something go in order to get to the next level. I remember when I made the decision that uh, I wasn't going to service buyers anymore. Um, I hired my sister as a buyer's agent. And basically a lot of agents, I noticed that when they make this transition, they cherry pick the buyers. What I mean by that is that they give all the leads that may close or may not close to their buyer's agent. And then they cherry pick the best ones and that's the ones that they close. So whenever I hired a buyer's agent, I said, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm just going to give every single buyer lead. And it was like, some of them would only see one house and their offer would get it, would accept it, you know? So it would be super easy for me 
to, to justify going out on that one appointment and selling that one house. Right. But I remember making that decision and I said, look, if I'm going to get paid, it's going to be based on the listing side. Mm-hmm. And given this advice to other agents in my marketplace, they tell me, Jose, Luis, I want to become a listing agent. I said, well, what percentage of your business is buyers and sellers? What if I told you you had to give away every single buyer, not cherry pick the best ones, but give them away to a buyer's agent. That way you can focus 100% on taking listings. And a lot of them have trouble letting go of that. You know, they have trouble because it's that certainty. And there's always that fear in the back of your head that like, can I do it? Can I survive strictly off of this? And I remember the first month I was just like, oh my God, like, like I've got no buyers anymore. And just forcing myself to stay on the telephone and basically generate listings. But it's the same situation, just a different um, perspective or a different situation, but it's the same thing. You have to let go of something in order to get to the next uh, level. And it's just different things at different levels that you have to let go of, you know? It's it's giving me so much to ask. So first question is now that I'm, that I'm, like I said, I'm still newer and I, I don't feel I have that experience to get the listings. It's like a funny thing. It's because you can look at it from one side and say, well, just cut out the buyers right now and just double down on listings. Stay, you know, just study, 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 practice, practice, practice. That's probably the right way to do it. But for me, it's like, I just, I want to get some close transactions under my belt. So I feel like you'd have, you'd have opposing views to this. You'd have people that would say, yeah, just, you know, close the buyers and the sellers right now. Over time, you'll get more confident with the listings and you can kind of gradually drift over to the listing side. And then you might have more like, you know, gung-ho balls to the wall people that are like, no, 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 don't prolong this. Like you, like the same that you, you know, you quit rentals. You're not doing that. Yeah. Well, I mean, if they're pricey rentals, different story, if it's an expensive listing rental, you know, if it's, you know, it depends on what it is. Um, depends if it's just worth the time really. Um, but then, but, but now what do you, what would you suggest? You know, would you suggest that I just get some, some things close to kind of build that credibility and that confidence Or do you think it's like, no, get to that listing site as soon as possible? Well, I I think it just depends on your comfort level. So one of the benefits of keeping my expenses low Mm -hmm. for a really long time and having cash flow coming in was that I was able to take certain risk in my business. You know, what I mean by that is that I had the luxury of having very low expenses where if I didn't close something in a month, I was okay with it because- Um, I didn't have these high expenses. A lot of agents had these really high expenses, so they need the income in order to survive. Therefore, mm-hmm. they can't make that commitment. I'm not, I, I would, I would never say don't do anything with those buyers, but you, you can either structure it different ways. You can either say, okay, I'm only going to work with X amount of buyers or buyers that are in this price point or set like certain standards, you know, for right, yourself, right. so that if you are working with a buyer, it's very efficient, meaning you're not working with a buyer that you're going to show 30, 40, 50 homes to. Maybe you're only working with somebody that has very realistic expectations, that has a decent amount of money as a down payment, and basically is a good human being, meaning he's not like a freaking troublemaker or somebody to uh, drive you crazy. So mm-hmm. you can either do it two ways. One, set certain criteria for yourself, or two, at some point, get a buyer's agent, but you have to have leads to be able to, 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 to feed to them. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense to have a buyer's agent just for the sake of having a buyer's agent. 
So at that point, I was probably doing maybe about 20 buyers and a lot of them were, were coming to me. So when you say had, leads, you, you have like buyer leads, you mean? So by taking a listing, that listing will generate, if you market it properly, buyer leads. And those are the leads that you can pass on to somebody to be able to close. Not only that, but you're passing along your sphere of influence leads, people that know you, like you, and trust you. You know, you're passing those along because it doesn't make sense to have a buyer's agent unless you can actually get them to survive, meaning or not to survive, to actually make a good living, not to survive, to make a really good living. It has to be worth their while because they're on a split with you. And that's what I did. I basically had buyers that were being referred to me. But by taking a listing, you have leads that are coming in from Zillow without paid advertisement, just some of them come to the listing agent, realtor.com, Redfin, you've got sign calls. If you're marketing it on social media, you've got people inquiring on there. You know, if you're yes. marketing it on Craigslist, you've got people inquiring on it. So, so the best marketing plan is take a listing, tell people that you took a listing, sell the listing, tell people that you sold it, right. you know? So by whenever you take a listing, it, it generates. So I do very little buyer advertising, I advertise the listings that I'm marketing, which that's what I'm supposed to do. And that generates buyer leads. And then we have certain systems in place. So I'll give you an example of a system. So whenever somebody calls on a for sale sign, the phone calls don't come to me. It comes in through a call routing system that gets dispersed to the buyer's agents. And those calls are, all of them are recorded and they go to them. And those are basically buyer leads that they're receiving. And occasionally we'll get a couple sellers that call in and those will come back to us. But that's a system that's in place where I'm not answering those phone calls mm -hmm. and I'm not cherry picking any of the buyers. They go straight to them. They can close them. Great. Happy. But that's business that is coming to them. You know? That's such a good point. You're just, you're kind of automating it in a way. Like, you know, you don't, you don't have to personally be involved in any of the things that don't make you, well, I wouldn't say don't make you money, but in you're, you're, you're doing exactly what you need to do and everything else is being taken care of. And that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's, for me, I, I it's definitely a question of definitely a question of making sure it's not over leveraging me, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I definitely have, thank God I have three deals under contract right now, which is nice. Awesome. And I just have to, just have to wrap them up, but it's just, um, I mean, two of them are buyers. One's a listing. I just, I need to keep that listing going. So I'm just taking, I'm really taking a lot of this in because there's this, I'm antsy to do all of these things now, but they're, they're additional expenses, you know? So the TC is fine. You know, you can generally put that into the contract. Yeah. Um, and there's, there is, I mean, there's just so much, other, there's so many other things, virtual assistant, um, paying for, you can pay for somebody to, to, you know, to do all of that work for you, yeah. but these are expenses. These are things that are not necessarily easy to do right off the bat or to jump into. So, but having, uh, having you and Aaron kind of describe it, you know, Aaron brought up hitting a plateau and he needed to hire somebody. He realized that things weren't 
getting any, they weren't changing. So he hired someone for about 30, 40, 40 yeah. a year. And he made oh. 150 from that. So when I heard that, I said, this is a no brainer. I have this with my podcast. I don't, I don't edit my episodes. I have someone to do it for me. So with, with zoom, it's a lot easier. It isn't as difficult, but even so, if he wants to put in some sort of video, if he wants to edit something, any kind of special effect, music, graphics, I'm not good at that. I don't have any interest in being good at it. It's not, it's a, it's not a strong suit for me. I'd rather focus on the conversation, getting the right guests, deciding what to talk about, brainstorming the, the editing. Um, but I de- delegate it to him and this way I can just focus on this. And I realizing that right away was without question. Uh, it, it taught me so much about business in general. And I'm, I have to take that exact same mindset and put it into real estate. Yeah. And that's the right approach, you know, cause you don't want to get good at the editing and um, yeah. Have you ever heard of the concept called opportunity cost? Have you ever heard of, of that? Opportunity cost? Yeah. Uh, no, go on. I, mu- I must've for your, for your time. So basically anything that is, is a less, anything that you can pay somebody to do it for less than what your time is worth delegate it, you know? So like, for example, I would never mow my own lawn or I would never change my own oil. Not saying that I can't, or I would never wash my own car because I can pay somebody 10, 20, $30 an hour. And my time's worth maybe $200 an hour or $300 an hour, you know? So it just comes down to knowing. And if you're not there at making a hundred, $200 an hour, think about it. How much do you want to make? And whatever you want to make, you've got to delegate everything else that is. I already act this way. I can proudly say I already have this in place mentally. I do a hundred percent. Which is awesome. You know? Yeah. I already mentally have it for sure. You know? Yeah, dude. I, I, you know what I think it is more than anything. I think it's the self doubt of the person doesn't perceive themselves as worthy of that. Meaning I'm not a $200 an hour guy, or I'm not a 200 an hour. I'm not a $200 an hour gal. And they just, and you mentally put a wall there and say, delegate something, have someone pay to wash my car. Aaron talks about this. I'm a middle-class person. I'm a, you know, uh, DIY kind of person. I can clean the floor. It, it becomes like this. I'm yeah. I'm gonna do it myself. Person, there's pride in that, but you're not gonna become wealthy from that. So you can be all proud of it because I was like I grew up that way. Um, so it really speaks to me. Can I? But tell it's you not gonna, huh? They think that they're actually saving money. It's so true, dude. It's such they a. They actually different... think that they're saving money. So right. like, if they look at it like I and I tell you this because I have agents on my team. And I had an agent that would drive to Oxnard, uh, which is like 15, 20 minutes away because the gym was like $10 cheaper a month. And he thought he was saving money. But what they, a lot of people don't factor in is their time in that calculation. They're just like, okay, like over here, it's $10 cheaper, but they're not factoring the 20 minutes that he has to drive there, the 20 minutes that he has to drive back. If you factor in your time, a lot of times it's not you're not saving money. You're actually losing money because your time has a certain value. And a lot of people don't, whenever they do this calculation, they don't factor in their time. Why would I go pay 50 bucks to get my oil change when I can change it? It's going to take me an hour. Well, by doing that, you're saying that your time is not worth more than $50 an hour. 
mm-hmm. or you're not factoring in your time and the opportunity cost because you could invest that time producing more business. And it's the same thing with a TC. A lot of the, a lot of them, it's not because they want to be in control of their file is because they think it's cheaper them doing it, but they're not factoring in the opportunity cost for their time that if they actually focused on income producing activities, they can actually produce more. Yes. Yes. It's such a beautiful epiphany because like I said, man, I grew up completely that way. I grew up doing everything. You know, I had to do everything by myself. It's, it's such a mindset shift and, and it, to, to focus on making money, saving money is important. Investing money is key. But people focus more on holding your money as opposed to growing it to a point where you don't have to focus as much on saving it, but focus on how to continue to grow it and build it, right? So I always, I, I was so guilty of this. My friends will tell me. It's still part of me where I'm very, very save conscious and as I'm, as I'm, I've been doing real estate more, I've been letting go of that a little bit. Not, I'm not reckless. I don't go on any fancy vacations. I drive a Toyota Corolla. I live in a nice place, but it's a very affordable. Upgrade cars though, bro. What's up? You're going to have to upgrade cars. If you yeah, want to be I, a listing agent, you're going to have to upgrade your car. You know, what's funny. People, people disagreed with that. And I'm like, it can't be. So I, I definitely will. For me, it's just a matter of wanting to feel like it's a smart thing to do at the moment. Meaning I know it'll be a good idea, but I, I want to have more of a steady uh, close rate coming in where deals are closing often and then without a question. Yeah, the reason is that sellers look at the car that you're driving. And if you're over here pitching, like I'm going to sell your home, I sell hundreds of homes a year, bro. And then they see you driving uh, to go to Corolla. Yep. It doesn't match. Match up. It doesn't match up. So Aaron has something that he taught me that you want to be the TFP, the total freaking package. It's a different word in the middle. But, and what he means by that is that you have to show up in a nice suit. That's part of the total presentation. You show up with a nice watch. You show up nice and groomed. You show up with a nice presentation, meaning you know how to communicate the right words show up with a nice car. That's part of the package as well too. And you have all of those things correctly. It basically leads to business. And this was an epiphany for me. So few realtors are doing it. You're such an anomaly. It's so rare, especially in LA and Florida. Everyone's chilling, wearing t-shirts. Bro, people hire me because I show up in a nice suit, a nice tie, well-groomed. I know what to say. I show up in a nice car and a watch, bro. I kid you not. It happened to my friend. I was lucky enough that early in my career, I had a friend who was competing for a listing. And they told him, he asked them, he was competing against another agent in his same office. He asked them because he was younger. Why did you hire me? He said, well, look, we'll be very transparent. You have a nicer car, which means you're probably doing better than the other guy. And I was like shocked. And he told me, dude, you got to upgrade your car. I kid you not. I upgraded my car and uh, it just became part of that. No one has been honest about this except for you so far. I just want to let you know this. I didn't ask Aaron. I didn't ask Aaron this question because I'm sure he would tell me the same thing. But I've asked other realtors and they told me, no, it doesn't really make a difference. And I'm like, 
how does it not make a difference? I'm like, that's, that makes no sense. I'm like, if you're, if you're Ryan, Ryan Serhant or you're any of these other big realtors in Miami, I know, I know a lot, a ton of them by name. There's, uh, there's this guy, Alex Goldstein, Dean and Golden Terror. Um, there's, uh, uh, I'm mentioning them because I'm kind of manifesting when, I'm, when are they going to come onto my podcast? Because um, they will. And it's going to be fun when we, when we talk about it. Um, but I mean, they are doing phenomenally like nuts, dude. They're selling, especially her. I mean, he's doing amazing. They probably too. drive nice cars too, right? But she, of course they do, man. Of course they do. She, she's selling, dude. She sells so much real estate. 350. I think she sold 350 million in 2020. Bro, it's like crazy, man. And people like people talk about, people talk about, women killing it in business. I mean, man, she it. is killing it, dude. Like that's what, 25 million, six, uh, 16 million, 22 million, 35, just closing them like this, dude. It's like, wow. You know, it's so admirable, man. Um, hit, man. So like you can drive what appears to be a nice car on a decent budget. Meaning like, I'll give you an example. Like, like an accurate TLX. I would go Mercedes or I would go Mercedes. I'm an, I'm an Audi guy. I would still go Mercedes. Mercedes for some reason in the eyes of the consumer has like this, this, uh, this elegance, luxury, elegance, luxury. I'll give you an example. I sold my old Mercedes to one of my buyers agent. He used to drive like a, uh, a Lexus. And I sold him that car. I sold it to him for $8,000. It was like a 2013 Mercedes E350. Mm-hmm. shows up and he's a buyer's agent shows up to appointments instantly people start telling him man you must be doing really well for yourself man real estate must be doing good for you which means that they're paying attention to it the first day they start making comments like that to him little do they know that was an eight thousand dollar car that he bought off me used but the appearance was like oh my god that must be a really expensive car because You're the first guy that's been honest about this, Jose, honestly, bro. Like, I'm sure there are plenty of realtors that would say this, but I think for me, they all know it's true, but didn't want to deter me. I think maybe that's what it was. They kind of went, don't worry about it. Like, you know, don't, don't let it kind of get to you, you know, do what you got to do with it. You know what I'm saying? I think maybe that was the motive as opposed to like, you're not. Without spending a lot of money, man, you can buy a nice like E350, like 2014, 2015 E350 Mercedes for like $16,000, $17,000, man. Right. I know a couple of agents on my team that have bought that. And then, I mean, you can't buy a brand new Honda Civic for $16,000, $17,000, you know? But right. the appearance is completely different, man. I'm not kidding. I promise you. Like I would, I, it, it's a big, big difference. People are going to start right. saying, man, you must be doing well. And yep. you're going to be like, yep, we are. But yeah, you've been conservative, you know, um, it, that's a yeah, conservative. What way do you have? To, what kind of what kind of bends do you have? So I have a 2017 uh, E300. Uh, I bought it last year. It was thirty seven thousand dollars cash. So I paid it off oh. um, just because, I mean, uh, most of the debt that I have is all real estate related debt. Okay. Uh, and I just I don't know. I, I just wanted to do it. I get angry whenever I have stuff like that. But here's an honest question, bro. If you're willing to answer it, of course. How much? How much of a percentage of your money was that car? Was it a large percentage of your of your income? Oh, it's tiny, bro. It's it's tiny. 
Um, so my team grosses $1.5 million to 1.7 a year. Um, I probably keep, and I'll be pretty transparent, like 40% of that in my yeah. pocket. Um, so it's, it's a very small percentage of what I Yeah, that's a very years. small percentage. And yeah. that's not counting any like real estate income that I have. So I own $12 million worth of real estate. I own 57 doors. That's not counting any of the residual that I have off the real estate coming in. You know, that's just my earned income from what I do selling real estate. That's not counting phenomenal, man. We have, you know. Wow, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I have a fire under my ass, (laughs) dude. Um, it's there's so much. I'm just so grateful for that, dude. I'm so grateful for this podcast that I was able to. I love that. I gotta turn on some light. One second. It's all good, brother. I gotta get. I just, I just want to have a little bit more lighting. Should be a little bit better, I think. Um, I don't know if that was better, but anyhow, we were talking about. Yeah, building the business and getting to where I want to where I need to be. Yeah, yeah, dude, I, the car is definitely a thing. I, I'm a big Audi fan. Truthfully, I also love a black a black Porsche. Is also a big enjoyment. A big I'm enjoyment. Telling you, Mercedes have like this like expensive. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm not a. I'm not. I definitely like how they look, but for some reason, it's not my go-to. It, it's it definitely not my go-to. I wanted to actually. Can I tell you what I wanted? Huh. Uh, whenever I made this decision. I wanted a BMW M3 or even an M5. That's what I wanted. Right. But I went through the same thing that you're going through. And I asked people, I said, Hey, look, if somebody shows up in this car or this car, which one do you think is more expensive? And a lot of the times they said the Mercedes, like, and you got to think about it, who your customer is, you know, like, um, like a lot of my customers, because I'm a seller's agent are older, um, gentlemen. You know, and in the eyes of a uh, 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 older or older couples, in the eyes of the older couples, for some reason, Mercedes has this. I, I already see it. I already see it in my head. It's the way it's built. It's just the design of the car. It doesn't have that that muscly kind of engine like an M3. Where an M3 is kind of like, okay, you show up in a suit, but you kind of have more of that. You have more of that douchey kind of thing. It's, it's more of class, like. Bro. It's more of like, yo, what's going on? I'm going to sell your house as opposed to being like, hello, sir. Good afternoon. There's a totally different demeanor. I'm telling you, bro. I wanted an M3. I I promise you I wanted an M3 and I went through the same thing. And I'm so glad I went with the Mercedes. For business, I'll I'll have the Mercedes. Now, if I want a fun car for myself, I can get the Audi or I can get the M3 Mm -hmm. or whatever I want. My dream car is actually I have a 67 Camaro and that's my fun car you know mm-hmm. i'm yeah that's my fun car basically still dude yeah yeah no i like i do like cars though i do like cars i, I cars. do yeah. i think porsches are nice too man i hear what you, i i it's different it might not be a mercedes but it's it's if anything it's looked at kind of a class above I price so, yeah. well i mean depends on the yeah. class but a porsche can they have the sportier versions but it could, if it's a nice crisp black porsche yeah or even a white one, they can, it also has a classiness to, to it for sure. Especially Porsche. in Miami. I think it works very well in Miami. I agree. So, Porsche, good. Audi, yeah. 
BMW, I, I, I'd go with the Mercedes. Porsche, I, I think you would still, uh, uh, it, it would do very well. I think the Porsche would. I, I don't, I, I, if I had to pick between Audi and BMW, it would be Mercedes, Mercedes or Porsche, either one. Right. Right. For sure. Yeah. That's, I love the, dude, I see them driving around and I'm like, that's such a, my kind of car. I really just like, it's such a sleek, it's, it's such beautiful. a sexy car, dude. Yeah. It's awesome. it's awesome. All of them, all of the models are just really nice. Don't go based on what you want. Go based on what's going to make the best impression towards the consumer, because ultimately it's part of the package. It's part of the presentation. I hear you, but you're also going to have different kinds of people. Meaning if you're driving a nicer car, you're hoping to get into that nicer market. But at the same time, there are going to be some people that love, they simply just love how a Porsche looks. And there are going to be some people who look much more, much prefer what a Mercedes looks like. And they'll kind of judge you based on what that looks like. But um, one of those is good, bro. Yeah, I think it's also important to get what you like to a large degree because you'll feel... that confidence and connection with the vehicle, it'll give you a certain feeling. And I think um, it's, it's very important to have that as well. It's so, I'm I'm so glad you, I'm so glad you mentioned this man because yeah, now I'm like, I'm sure. No, I'm sure of it, man. Yeah. I would get, I would upgrade hundred percent. Yeah. Just do it conservatively to the point where it's not going to hurt. It's not going to increase your expenses enough where you Mm -hmm. can't take risk in your business. You know, I've always been a, and of upgrading that, but I've always been a fan of putting assets or think about it this way. Like, okay, what asset could I buy or where could I invest my money to pay for that car? That's kind of one yeah. way I've always thought about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And that's why I own such a large portfolio because I've always thought, okay, what can I buy that's going to produce X amount of dollars so that I can pay for this? So sometimes before I increase my expenses, I increase my assets basically to help pay for awesome. that. It's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I'm uh, listen, man, I'm hoping, and I'm doing this as a, as a real hab, uh, hobby, but I'm hoping this podcast will give me in the very near future, a decent amount of passive income. Yeah. I mean, the, there's, there's no limit to it. It can, you know, God willing, it can give me um, a very, very strong passive income through so many different streams and, and, and ways. in real estate, bro, is insignificant to one of the, some of these YouTubers, or podcasters. Wait, make. Say again, say again. What we make in real estate right. is nowhere near what some right. of these YouTuber tubers or podcasters are making. Yeah. They are making ridiculous money, bro. Right, right. Ridiculous it's, money. You just have it's like anything else, you really have to come with value. There's a tiny, yeah. tiny percentage of podcasters and social media people. Uh, not we're not talking about Instagram. Um but we're talking about solid, real content. Yeah. You really have to bring something special to the table. So I'm confident, man. And, and aside from any passive income, this allows me to really connect with people. You and I are talking, Aaron and I are talking. Um, if I have a guest that I connect with well, and they, if I can connect well with a guest and they are looking to buy something, there we go. We have a client and hopefully, hopefully uh, those, some of those guests will be looking to either buy or sell yeah. nice properties, very nice properties. And that starts, you know, hopefully blossoms into a large tree. Definitely doors and connections and all that. Yeah. Without question. So um, we've covered a lot of ground. It's almost an hour. So uh, Jose Luis, thank you so much for coming brother. It's, I learned a ton. 
Um, I hope everyone listening did as well. I'm going to have a lot more realtors on. I'm going to have other, I've had some um, investors in their twenties, actually uh, Anton Martel um, and Alon Avji, Alon Avgi, I, I forget how to pronounce his last name, uh, but both of them are very, very successful, very smart guys, very articulate guys. And it's, um, it's, it's starting really, and it's starting to grow into this awesome, awesome uh, show. Cause I'm just, I'm, I'm having another guy, Jonathan Vega coming out on Tuesday. He's a young guy. I'm not sure how old he is, maybe a little older, younger than me, but he is doing very well from what I see. And he's a character. Dude's a character. He's just, he's very funny on social media, very active. He's got his own flavor and personality. Um, so I'm going to like throw some clips when I do the episode with him on Tuesday, I'm going to put some edits in there and show like some of the, the funny things he does. Awesome. But um yeah, man. Thank you so much for coming and um, looking forward to talking to you. Likewise, bro. Yeah. Anything I can do to help, just let me know. Um, you have sure. obviously my information. So happy. Thanks for having me on. And if I can help any anybody on the show, just uh, look us up on social media and we're happy to help in any way that we can. Sure. I'm going to drop all the links to your Instagram and everything else so people can check it out. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much. Great talking to you, man. Take care, man. Peace. Bye. Bye.